Hello and welcome to that 90s Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, James Tunstall, and today's special guest, uh, in- innovator, we could say, of uh, wrestling interviews, uh, co-founder of Kayfabe Commentaries, and uh, yeah, Mr. Sean Oliver. How are you doing, Sean? I'm here. I'm in the UK, right? Uh, through a virtual through a virtual process, I have gone over the pond and uh, landed in the UK. Now, you know, I, I have a fair amount of DNA from your... Uh, neck of the woods. That's right. Uh, well, you're. I don't know where in the country you are. I actually, uh, I, I tweeted my uh, 23 and Me uh, uh, profile of the UK, and asked fans, "I want to buy a soccer or football jersey uh, yeah. based on my DNA. What am I buying?" And um, I was, uh, I was given. Um, uh, Liverpool, uh, Liverpool, right? As a, as a, which apparently, I guess, they won, and everyone now throws things at me and calls me a front runner because uh, <laughs> I don't know any better. And um, yeah, so I, I guess my uh, my DNA put me in an area where I, I you know, I, I, I saw such a high concentration of the UK, and I thought maybe I was a descendant of royalty. And yeah. so I show the geographic plotting of where I'm from to uh, I was in Disney in Epcot. And so I went up to a young lady in the in the England pavilion and I said, listen, what what were my ancestors? Tell me which king I'm a descendant of. And she looked at it and she said, hey, you are probably coal miners, maybe uh, working in the coal in the mine and then uh, and then the evenings at the pub. So yeah. that's I guess. That shattered my uh, my hopes to uh, to someday be contacted and given a, a wealth of money by the Queen. <laughs> cool. Good news, by the way. I'm also a Liverpool fan, so uh, yeah, two Liverpool fans here. <laughs> Should have worn cool. my jersey. Where is it? Good. Right. <laughs> so uh, I suppose we'll get to the beginning, Sean. So uh, I'm pretty sure you was a fan of wrestling uh, growing up from a young age. I first saw wrestling when I was about six or seven, maybe, um, at a friend's house. Uh, he had older brothers. They were watching it. And, you know, I didn't know the, the line between uh, the choreography and, and, and what I was supposed to be seeing. So I was spellbound at the, uh, the violence I was being treated to. And, and uh, so if that wasn't enough, so I grew up at right outside of New York City. So I was a product of the Vince McMahon senior wrestling product, WWWF. So, so if that wasn't enough, they go to an interview segment and superstar Billy Graham comes out and cuts wow. a promo. And the feather boa and the sunglasses and the, and I, I was spellbound. It was, it was superheroes come to life yes so then i went to my first match in uh october of 1981 it was bruno san martino's retirement match they did make him come back to the ring later on but this was billed as his retirement match and actually the opening of the meadowlands arena uh bruno remembered the exact date by the way when i worked with him i i, I said yeah my first match was your retirement match. You're like, oh, October 19th, 1981. I say, oh. wow. or whatever it was. I'm, I'm wrong. I think it's October 4th or something like that. So, but, and then 
So you take the real life superheroes and the illusion being created on television. And now they're in front of me. You know, and this was a time I'm not going to get into the whole today's product. Yes, there was a time nobody likes steroids, but there was a time where these guys were. Yeah. And then you take a five year old standing before them, watching them press each other over their heads and throw them over the ropes and crash into the railing. It was just nothing like it. It was spectacle um, for anyone that doesn't understand wrestling, that thinks it's trite and moronic. You're right, first of all, but uh, but it is the exact same uh, node in the brain that uh, attracts one to Superman or Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, somehow Marvel has made that legitimate, but you're still a bit of a misfit if you like The Rock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, and I mean, you've heard it many times I've heard it. My favorite one whenever someone comes up to me, you know wrestling's fake, don't you? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I- I'm actually more insulted that people think that wrestling fans don't know it's predetermined. Uh, but that's a debate for another day. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we'll talk about kayfabe commentaries. So um, I've been watching it for years. It's and like the stories you get's been unreal. So take us to the beginning of it. Like uh, I know you co-founded it with your partner. So how did it come about? Uh, to start a kayfabe commentaries uh it was a it was a phone call it was a boring phone call one night i was working uh at an investment bank in manhattan uh on the 45th floor of 60 wall street um on a snowy night and um uh, bored nothing to do late at night and, uh, and we were just bull- bullshitting anthony and i on the phone and uh we were both uh, fans of film and we had worked on some films together. And he said, you know, it's never been done with wrestling. And it's probably the only thing that hasn't been done. Um, like a commentary track for wrestling matches. And, uh, you know, back in the day uh, when DVDs and laser discs were, were around, uh, a big special feature on the disc would be you could watch the film, but you could also watch the film with an audio commentary track, an alternate commentary track of like the director or the star right. talking you through the film. So what if you took all the famous historical wrestling matches, Hogan winning the belt, Flair winning the belt, Harley Race, and you could watch it, but put on your iPod and listen to Harley Race in real time. Yeah. You start it when the match starts, take you through the match. I, I said, well, that's phenomenal. I said, why don't we just do it? I said, yeah. I said, I need you to find the technical end of it out. Can we record this and have it downloadable? See, this is 2007. So uh, iTunes was out, but everything was in its infancy. Could we, yeah. at our level, do a, an iTunes-like sale, a downloadable MP3 when you make a purchase on your computer or your gimmick? Uh, so I said, you find out how that can be done, and I'll just start calling wrestlers, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I never talked to her. I was a fan. I was in the film business. I, I never really talked to wrestlers. So I, I got in touch with somebody. Um, we saw that uh, Greg Valentine and the Honky Tonk Man were going to be in town. We said, let's give this a shot. Let's put together some money. Let's pay them to record these commentary tracks. Anthony found uh, maybe 10 matches each from both of the guys. And uh, 
and we did it. And, and it was really, it was kind of on a whim. And uh, I, th I thought that I could keep it interesting because I was a fan. I was a knowledgeable enough fan where I could sit next to Greg Valentine or Harley Race or anybody and, and have an intelligent discussion without it becoming, you know, a fanboy moment. And, yeah. uh, and we could have something really cool. I think if I just stayed uh, a fan and, and talked about the things I would want to hear about if I was sitting listening to the track so and that's what we did and um and, and that's really how we got in we just kind of pushed our way into the business and and we were oh we didn't go about it the right way i talk about this in my books uh, uh we kind of uh just kind of undercut a promoter that was bringing them in uh we set up clandestinely in a in a hotel room down the end of the hall from where they were staying <laughs> made arrangements with them directly and said, listen, when you get home from the matches, 12, one o'clock, whatever, we'll be in room, whatever, just come down the hall. You know, you have a payday down there. And that's kind of what we did, except super agent Eric Sims was there. And, and, uh, and he listened to the promise of free food. I think he heard we were ordering wings and that was it. He was in the room. <laughs> and we explained to him what we wanted to do. And he said, wow, he said, that's, that's really cool. But listen, next time, you know, just call me, I, you know, it's, everything will go through me. I'll, I'll set it all up. And, and that was okay with me because I, 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 th I thought that it would be better for us to go through a more legitimate route like that rather than call. I mean, imagine explaining to the honky tonk man. Yeah. Uh, what a downloadable MP3 alternate commentary track is. It didn't exist. <laughs> no. And, and, and explaining it to anybody for that matter. So that was the difficulty in selling those products up front. Nobody knew what the hell it was, which is what led us within the first year to make the commitment to go to video because uh, the shoot interview certainly existed and everybody knew what that was. So if we could piggyback that concept and do something so totally different with it, it would be a much easier barrier to entry. And that's eventually what ended up happening. Cool. And uh, you mentioned him, uh, the Honk Tonk Man, and uh, you've had so many great interviews with him, man. Like, he's wild. Like, <laughs> he, he owes nothing back when it comes to, like, of Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels. So what's it like having these interviews with Honky Tonk Man? And, like, uh, what's it like behind the camera, I suppose? Is he, like, just off the handles, or is he pretty easy going? He, uh, well, listen, the, the business, the pro wrestling business is... Um, we handled it like any other business. I mean, we, we wanted our sets to feel like, you know, like I said, my background was film and video. So like, I wanted it to feel like, like a film set. Like I wanted yeah. there to be food and beverage and to take care of all their creature comforts and, and treat them professionally. And it was going to be lit well, and it was going to sound uh, proper. So it would, I mean, now people go through, through, uh, to those lengths, but listen, we're talking about 2007. They yeah. were like practically still VHS cameras, you know, and it, it was barely a production. Uh, so we wanted to do it differently. So I think by treating the business that way, we normalized a little bit of what is really one step from the circus, which is the wrestling business. Yeah. Not to say that there wasn't insanity happening at times, but um, that treatment, that expectation, it, it put them at ease. Um, it made them comfortable with me, uh, made them trust me in, in that 
I wasn't looking looking to make them look bad here. That I was taking my time to to do a proper interview and release a proper product. Um, but uh, still, you know, there there were, and also it, it let them come back to us, which was which was really the gift. Was yeah. you know, the second phone call was so much easier because they knew what they were going to get. Um, it's so funny how many people would do a show and. Hey, Francine, like when we finished shooting her edition of Breaking Kayfabe, she goes, she goes, that wasn't bad. You're not an asshole. I, I said, well, no, nor did I say that. Well, she said, yeah, but everybody else was like, oh, he gets people to say things and he makes people cry. But you you treat people the right way and it, and it makes a second shot so much easier. My yes. one memory about that, I have a couple of memories about that first shoot that night at the uh, Howard Johnson's. Um, I'm fairly certain there was crime scene tape across the door when we, when we walked in and a chalk outline on the floor, um, <laughs> we, we were, uh, we were shooting, we were doing Greg and honky. They were alternating doing their commentary tracks and, uh, honky wanted a, a, uh, a vodka that was impossible to find Seagram's extra smooth vodka. I think they'd stopped making it, but I was so determined to make the impression and get him what he wanted. Um, I searched the ends of the earth and finally found it. Greg wanted a Merlot. Uh, he was very fond of my, my uh, corkscrew that I brought, actually talked about it for an inordinate amount of time. Um, so after a couple of cocktails, the guys get rolling and things are rolling. So in between takes, you talked about what it's like off camera. In between takes, Honk is standing in the room and he's, he's having a moment about the Hall of Fame. And that he's pissed off. Um, Vince could, he was mad at Vince about something. Either he didn't call him for the Hall of Fame or when he saw him, he didn't thank him or something. So he's on his way to take a piss when he's telling, when he's talking about this. He's kind of talking to the room. He's talking to Eric and I'm there and talking. So he's kind of talking to everybody. He's standing up in front of the hotel room talking. Like, yeah, but you can't put your fucking hand out and shake my hand. And as he's talking, he had undone his pants to go, to go, to head to the bathroom. They now begin to go down. As he's talking, and you don't want to laugh, like you want to take him. He's having a moment, so you want to take it very seriously. Yeah. But he's also there without pants, so it's it's a series of moments like that, James, that you learn uh, to deal with, and it becomes commonplace. Cool, that's a great story. And, I mean, uh, imagine imagine that happening at the bank. Imagine, yeah, you're working, you're, you're signing a mortgage, and the man's stands he's talking about the product and that your you know your mortgage rate your apr is is going to be as low as ever the pants begin to fall now in any other place that would be nobody even batted an eyelash in that hotel room because it's wrestling yeah yeah the, the wrestling world like it, it's weird it, like you explained like there seems to be one specific set of rules just for the wrestling business where if you put them rules in any other workplace, it just, it wouldn't happen, but uh, it's cool. Uh, two guys I wanted to talk to, and their feud, it's just become legendary, and you've had the pleasure of having both of them on, Jim Cornette and Vince Russo, so, like, this r rivalry, like, it's amazing, like, and they're still at it after all these years, so what's it like for yourself, like, for example, one day you're interviewing Jim Cornette, then say a week or two later, you're interviewing Vince Russo. What's it like coping with these two personalities? And have you attempted to put them together at one point? 
Well, I knew they wouldn't do it. Uh, and, uh, but listen, I, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask. Yeah. Of course had to ask and, you know, Jim didn't want to do it. And, uh, and that's understandable. And, and I, I mean, and I didn't want to push it either because I, I like both of them. I have to say, yeah. and I worked well with both of them. They both served my product. I don't give a fat rat's ass what the like people are like legit were. I don't know if it exists anymore. Were legit angry with Vince Russo for angles he booked and what he did to wrestling. I need him to come on my program, whatever it is, yeah. and deliver product for me. I need Corny to come on and deliver product. So their heat with each other never fazed me because I didn't care about it. I didn't have an, a vested interest in it unless I was going to be producing something with the two of them. But as long as I yeah. wasn't, I didn't care. Uh, the only time it became an issue for me when Vince Russo was finally let go or quit, whatever, uh, TNA, Yeah, uh, we were the first group uh, to, to get him to, to talk outside of TNA uh, to do a You Shoot Live. And we booked it, and I asked Cornette if he wanted to submit a question. And um, he didn't want to, uh, but somebody uh, – I don't. I guess Russo said, uh, "Oh, yeah, we did a pre-interview with Russo to to promote the event." I said, "Is there anyone you don't want to hear from or expect?" He goes, "Well, he goes, there's one guy I know I'm going to hear from, and that's a certain guy with a tennis racket." Yeah. So he put that out there. Uh, Cornette interpreted that as us advertising him for the show. So he got angry and went public and said he wasn't going to be a part of it. So we put out a statement saying, you know, we never said he was going to be. And and we kind of mended those fences on the air uh, on an edition of Breaking Kayfabe, Jim and I. But that's the only time it became an issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I always put it this way. I treat people how they treat me. And has the guy had bad ideas? Yes. Has the guy had some brilliant ideas? Yes. And whenever I've gone back and forth with him, like messaging on Twitter, he's been nothing but nice to me. And I, I think he has agreed to come on the show one day. We're just trying to sort some dates out. And uh, and at the same time, I can listen to Jim Cornette's podcast and I enjoy listening to his podcast. So it's, but it is like, it's just so hilarious seeing the two of them <laughs> like go at it. But it is funny. And another thing that's funny, and it seems to be everyone's favorite segment of your shows, uh, the whole bag. So what's the origins of it? <laughs> uh, it was, you know, it's on our series, You Shoot. And uh, we, God, I, I don't know at what point in You Shoot, because the series kind of had an evolution. Uh, yeah. The concept was just let fans conduct the entire interview. Uh, I won't come up with anything. Sit them down and they have to be a lightning rod. Like they got to be the right guest for the right show. That was part of the magic formula that I talk about in The Business of Kayfabe, the uh, best-selling book. Uh, right guest, right show. So for yeah. you, Shoot, we need a, a lightning rod. We need somebody who's going to elicit a ton of fan reaction. Uh, we want a lot of fan questions so we can sift through them and pick a variety of questions. Uh, so we said, imagine that. And our first guest was the Honky Tonk Man. Imagine sitting the Honky Tonk Man down and telling the audience, have an uncensored 
uh, audience with the Honky Tonk Man through the safety of the computer. Say whatever you want. Ask whatever you want. And it exploded. It absolutely exploded. Our first series was Guest Booker. And that was people love that who are into the business and the mind of the booker and the business decisions. But once you shoot dropped and they saw that it was literally uncensored access to the stars, that was it. The whole the whole industry yeah. changed. WWE videos put fan questions. I mean, they it, it changed everything. So um, at a certain point, I think we started to, so that the rep, so there, so it wasn't repetitive because they, they're two hour shows, a lot of them. And so we thought it would be fun to like break away from the regular Q&A uh, every once in a while when someone asks a question that might be posed in an interesting way as a game. So that's how like the whole bag and the, and what a dick uh, came about. And then. Um, uh, you know, there, and then there were other games, certain games tailored to the guest. Jim Cornette yeah. played his share of, of, uh, of games on it. He, he did the Sprite taste test. Uh, the, uh, you know, actually New Jack did because he, he punched somebody for giving him a Sierra Mist instead of a Sprite or a 7-Up. So oh, I, we wow. had the two hands covered. And we said, go ahead, tell me, can you really tell the goddamn difference? Do it. And he did. He, he tasted them both and he picked out the, uh, the Sprite. And, and Corny actually did that too because he... Uh, he loves Sprite. He's a very big okay. Sprite. He drinks 30 Sprites throughout a shoot. So we wanted to see if he could could tell the difference. And, and the games became tailored to the to the uh, guest. Yeah. Cool. And uh, one of the guests, uh, you know, had on quite a few times, uh, Sonny. And uh, I don't know what a legal status is at the minute. It changes every week. Uh, but what's it like having Sonny on the show? And I mean, like I've heard you explain it in other interviews you've done, like, Whatever you can say, she's entertaining and she knows how to work an audience. So what's it like interviewing there and like seeing her predicament like these sort of days? Uh, we first had her booked right before she went into rehab. So right. our booking actually got bumped because I took a call from her boyfriend uh, at the time uh, who said, listen, she's, she's going to go away for a little bit. But she promises as soon as she's out, like, you could have her the next day. I was like, of course, you know, I'd rather have her well, you know, uh, and yeah. talk about this whole journey, you know. So for us, it was fine. And, and that's what we did. As soon as she got out, if you look at the, uh, uh, it was her U-shoot. She's actually, I think, one day out of rehab. So she's clean. Um, and uh, that was a fun show. We, we from look, I kind of knew her because she knows uh, a business associate of ours from, she's from the area here in Jersey. So I talked to her before and, and, you know, we got on well and everything. And so I knew it would be a good show. She's fun. Uh, but she's a worker, a worker yeah. to the bone. Yeah. Uh, uh, just as much as any of these guys in the business. So I, you know, that sometimes works to your advantage if you're a content producer because she knows what's needed. She knows, uh, I don't care if she's honest or not. People say all the time, how do you let all these people lie to you? Where am I going to put them on a polygraph? What do you talk to them about? How, how mundane is their life is? That they, they like gardening now? Tell me outrageous stories about, you know, driving down the highway 400 miles an hour. You're like, I'm not there to judge whether they're true or not. My, my goal is to have someone who's entertaining. My God, uh, hold a professional wrestler to the truth? Am I insane? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't mind that Sonny's a worker. You know, uh, she came back for um, 
Oh, Jesus. She was on some of our wrestling's most shows, which is a countdown. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, countdown show. Uh, and, then, and then she did a breaking kayfabe. That was right. <laughs> the you shoot was a day out of rehab. The breaking kayfabe was a day out of jail. So we got to talk about both respective uh, experiences of hers on those shows. Um, She was always fine for us, uh, for our purposes. I mean, we produced content and she delivered content. It it begins and ends there. Cool. Um, Great. And uh, speaking about guests, uh, you've had many on and uh, you've mentioned a few times, like you've had some guests what's been unprofessional, but it would you say it's been the most unpro- unprofessional guests who you've had besides Conan. <laughs> well, 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 Conan wasn't a guest, so I don't know. He can't be on yeah. the list. He, he <laughs> never showed. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I recount the story about, uh, about buff who wanted to punch my teeth down my throat. Right. Uh, after I, after I, I paid him, he showed up in no condition to perform. Uh, let's say he was tired. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I we tried to shoot. We we ran the can. We rolled two or three times. I mean, I gave him as much time in between to pull it together. Uh, he couldn't, and uh, I he was upset. I said, "Listen, uh, here's some money for trying. Uh, just promise me that next time you're out here, we'll nail it. Consider it a deposit." came in and my guys uh, helped him uh, back to his locale and um about six months later i called him i said uh hey I, oh he called me the next day actually he's like hey man i'm really sorry about last night but thanks brother for the money and just just being so cool about it i know you didn't get a show that you wanted yeah i mean i got an entire crew a set and i'm out the money but whatever yeah. you know we'll next time uh six months later i see he's gonna be out here so i call him I say hey i don't know if you remember me but I'm going to make good now. And that was the deposit and come out and do the show. He says to me, he goes, oh, sorry, brother. Uh, we're doing a, a reality show about me. So, uh, you know, my uh, stock rose a lot. And uh, I'm not going to be bothered, bothered with those shoot things anymore. Oh, well. So I said, wow. I said, look, can I remind you? I'm the fucking guy that uh, had people hold you up so you could be on camera. And he said, yeah. He said, well, when I see you in New Jersey at that show you're talking about, why don't I punch your fucking teeth down your throat? I was in awe. I was in shock. Not just because someone talked to me like that. It's the wrestling business. I guess I kind of expected, even though I always had a great rapport and relationship, very professional with everybody uh, that I'd worked with. But I couldn't believe that he didn't respect what the position that I took when I was out the money and I was out a show and he was too tired to talk (laughs) And, uh, and I said, listen, man, you know, keep your chin up. Don't worry about it. You know, we're not going to release this video and I can't release this video, man. I I want buff. I I want the real guy. I don't want what's going on here. You wouldn't want this released. Believe me. Here's some cash. Uh, you know, it's, it's not the whole deal, but we'll finish it up. I, I just, he was so appreciative and the next day he was so appreciative. And then six months later, it was like I was talking to another person. Yeah. I was in awe. Crazy. And uh, one of, um, I, I would imagine he's one of your favorite people. And uh, he's one of my favorite interviews I've seen you do. And my kid brother, for example, he doesn't really watch a lot of current day wrestling, but he always watches your shows. And 
have to talk about him, Kevin Nash. He always seems to be a perfect gentleman when he's on your show, and he's very given with his time. So what's it like being around Kevin Nash? I, I love Kev. I, I text him all the time. And, uh, Kevin's one of those guys that I enjoyed being off camera with as much as on camera because we didn't talk about wrestling. Guys like uh, Sullivan also. I always loved you know going out to eat with Sullivan and hanging out with him because we didn't talk about wrestling. You know, we talked yeah. about other things. He, those are guys that have a life outside wrestling, yeah. and, and and they're smart, they're well read, they're they're, uh, they're educated, they're they're they have interesting takes on things, um, and and I just love spending time with them. So, you know, Kev, I, I think Kev also appreciates. Uh, here's a funny Kevin story. Uh, Kevin calls me uh, actually. Uh, Eric Sims, super agent Eric Sims, is trying to book Kevin Nash, and there's a problem with the travel arrangements. Right. And um, Kevin wants certain things, and Eric is hemming and hawing. So I text Kev. I, I get involved. I had no stake in it. I don't think I was working with him, but I, I stepped in and said, you know, I'll, let me just kind of be a middleman up in the area here. And uh, Kevin calls me, and he's like, uh, he just telling me his issues. I said, Kev, I'll get it straightened out. Just tell me what you want to fly out of a certain airport. Okay. You want, all right. You want first class. He's a big guy or an aisle seat. I don't remember what it was. Don't hold me to first class. He's a big guy. Blah, blah, blah. So he wanted a certain schedule. He wanted a certain airline. He wanted a certain hotel. When he's done working, he wants to go back. He wants to be able to order room service. So it's got to be a place. Now, Eric Sims, always an eye on the bottom line is not necessarily putting you in places that are going to give you 24 hour room service. Yeah. So, so I handled it. I went back to Eric and I told him. But when I was talking to Kevin, I, I said, uh, I said, all right, man. I said, uh, you know, Eric's a good guy. He's going to go. He goes, man, he goes, he's just not in charge. He goes, you know how you, you walk onto the set? He's like, you got the green screen ready. Everybody's ready. They're listening to you. Makes the workers want to listen to you. I can't talk to this guy because he's not in charge. So that's 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 Kev, you know, Kev's yeah. Kev needs certain things done. And listen, the, when you see what the guy draws for you, how do you not? You mean to tell me if Tom Cruise wanted a certain kind of trailer and you're making an action film, you're not going to get him the goddamn trailer that he wants. You're not going to get him the, the, the spread that he wants for food. Of course, you're going to do that because you want Tom Cruise. Yeah. Well, Kev is one of those guys. If you want Nash, he's going to give you a certain kind of product. So. It was another time uh, I, I was he was doing something for us, but he was also doing something for another promoter. And uh, the other promoter wasn't handling the accommodations as they should. And, oh, it was a uh, driver. She's like, it's like you know, one driver picks me up from the airport. You got another driver's going to drive me. You where's the consistency? So listen, Kev's the Kev's the prima donna. Kev's the star. So I say, Kev. I'm going to come get you. Where are you? I'm going to drive and get you. Now, I had ulterior motives that Kevin didn't know. He was currently working for a promoter that had tried to fuck us out of money. Right. So I said, Kev, where are you working? Where's this venue? So I drive down with my guys. And uh, the promoter sees us, lets us in. I said, oh, I'm just Kevin's ride. Don't worry about it. Not here for trouble. Just got to get Kevin back. Kevin did an autograph signing before the show, and I knew he had to go in the ring and do a promo to open the show with Scott, 
We'll do an NWO style promo to open the show. So I was looking at Kev. I said, uh, Kev, they, uh, they're keeping you here a real long time at this autograph signing. You sure you're going to do that opening? He's like, fuck no. I said, good, come on, get my car, bye. Put him in the car, <laughs> drove him out of the venue, and uh, drove him back to shoot our thing. Then I put him in a, in, a Lincoln, in a town car, in a limousine, back to the airport in New York. That's how you handle a situation like yeah. a Kevin Nash. You want to work with yeah. Kevin again? You want, you want Kev to not even ask you what you're paying? Just go, what's the schedule look like? I said, well, Kev, I need you about two hours. Can you be there at two o'clock? Yeah, I'll be there. And then whatever you hand him, he's good with. That's how you handle those guys. It's a business. Got to keep people happy. Awesome. He's one of my uh, bucket list interviews I would love to have one day. Uh, I actually recorded one of my bucket list interviews uh, the other week, Rob Van Dam, which I'm releasing that this week. Uh, so it was so great having him on. But Kevin Nash is also on that list. I'm hoping to have him on one day. And uh, another guy I would love to have on, which you've had him on yourself, uh, Brett Hart. So my favorite wrestler of all time. But I can admit that he takes it a bit serious. But I don't feel that's a bad thing. But what was it like having Brett on the show? And like, because one of the series he done with you was the, the timelines, which I enjoy as well. So, what's it like being around Brett? Uh, Brett was a big get for us. We wanted Brett yeah. very desperately uh, for that series. You know, that timeline series it really needs uh, the right talent for that for that year. You know, you want somebody that can talk about uh, much of what went on yeah. for that year. So. Um, we had Brett for 92, which was really his breakout year. I don't want to talk about Montreal again. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. So we wanted for 92. 92 was when the business turned into Bret Hart's, uh, WWE turned into Bret Hart's company. And, uh, so we wanted to talk to him about that. And, uh, so we booked him and, uh, we wanted it to be a special deal. We got a, a nice big, uh, breakout room in one of the uh, location one of the hotels that we use and we got a whole spread catering catered the whole thing and brett's flight got uh canceled because of uh fog in our area we ended up not even being able to shoot i mean we we explored every option like flying into like philly meeting them in philly driving them back to us it just it wasn't going to happen so we had to cancel it so we sat there and we ate the catering in the big empty set and uh, then we had him come back, and and he came back for uh, for timeline, and it was uh, it was great. My uh, favorite. I just recounted this Brett story for somebody. Uh, I had to, you know, on camera. I'd always talked about how I felt that I had the impression that Montreal could have been a work. Yes. That maybe it was just about the greatest work ever, where the only secret that was ever kept in wrestling was kept between two men, the owner of the company and the champion that had his belt. And even the people around them, they worked into what was going to happen because it was the only solution. Yeah. And I had given my reasons for why I feel that way, including the fact that not the least of which, when the match ends, the camera cuts to Brett's face. He lost. Have you ever seen a wrestling match where someone wins a title and you're not shooting the champion? You yeah. film close up of the loser's face. It was odd to me. It was like they were forcing me to see something in Brett's eyes. So we're shooting timeline. And I'd said this on camera so many times. I thought to save face for the guys on the set. I had to say this to Brett face to face off camera. It didn't come up on camera. So 
so I said, Brett, I, I, uh, I got, I got to confess <laughs> something here and I want you to hear my reasons first. Okay. And he just kind of listened. He looked at me and he said, he said, Oh, that's what you think. I said, yeah. I, and I told him my reasons and he said, Oh, he said, you know, he goes, I understand. But that was it. He didn't get mad. He didn't argue with me. He didn't try to prove the point. He just listened. He said, okay, I understand. And, uh, and that was it. But I, I felt I, I owed the universe my telling this to Brett in person. And I did. Took a uh, great, great liberty, uh, uh, a great risk in doing that. Yeah. Do you think it's a work or are you convinced it's real now? I mean, so many people had come in and, and, and who had insider knowledge and, uh, I don't know, listen, if I'm going to be a wrestling fan, can you just let me believe? Yeah. And, and belief, belief today is not belief that that punch was real or that someone really won a belt, but belief today would be that we got worked by Vince and Brett. So that's today's equivalent of just wanting to believe that Hulk Hogan was an American hero back in the day. Yeah. So I'm going to believe, man, I'm going to believe yeah. that, that the two, two of the greatest minds in wrestling pulled off the ultimate and actually kept something from the public. Awesome. And uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you, uh, so you've interviewed, like like we said, a lot of the legends and a lot of the 90s guys, especially from new generation era, we could say like the, you know, Nash, uh, Brett, X-Pac, Scott Hall and all them great guys. And one of the guys also who we would like, I would like to talk to, I would imagine he's on your bucket list one day, is uh, The Undertaker. Uh, what did you make to his comments on the Joe Rogan show about wrestling not being as tough as what it is? I totally agree with him, but what's your opinion on that? I don't know. Uh, I, you know, everyone's experience is different in the business, and you know, you got to walk in someone's shoes to see uh, what they went through and, and how they handled stuff. Uh, the Undertaker was extremely respected. Uh, I don't know anyone who gave him a hard time. Mm. Uh, he was kind of the locker room lead. Well, he was the locker room leader for so long. His experience was his experience. And that was that, you know, that was his, that was his point of view on it. Uh, I, I think if you, uh, if you talk to everybody in the business, their, their opinions are as divergent as, as they are, as they are. I mean, uh, everybody had different experiences. I can't, you know, I, I wouldn't take issue with anything uh, Taker said. And uh, would you say he's one of the people left on the bucket list for yourself, or is there any others you would like to have? Oh, of course. I mean, I, I, I think he'd he'd be great for a show like ours because uh, uh, he has the mind, you know, to 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 be able to. I mean, he's one of those guys. There are a handful of guys, only a handful, that could have done all of our series. Usually, yeah. someone was more for a guest booker or more for a. Uh, a, uh, a you shoot or, or a timeline. There were a handful of guys that could do all of them. Nash did all of them. Yeah. Corny did all of them. Um, if you booked work, uh, you were covered for guest booker. If you worked the top of the card, you were covered for timeline. 
Um, and if you were a bit of a lightning rod, very opinionated, not afraid uh, to speak your mind, you were good for you shoot. Now, later on, we had series like Supercard and, and, and things where other people fit too. But that trifecta, uh, there were very few people who were right for any of our shows. Um, you know, Taker would fit that. Yeah. Uh, he's the dream guest for everyone. Um, he'd be great. So, one thing I did want to speak about, Sean. So, you know, like I said earlier, you're one of the innovators, if not the innovator, when it comes to wrestling interviews. Uh, and since then, we've seen the rise of uh, podcasting. So, what was your thoughts on like podcasts when they first started coming about, and especially like wrestling interview podcasts? And did that make you try and change your format, or but did you feel like it was? detrimental to what you was doing i i didn't i wasn't threatened by it at first because i thought it was um it was a ham sandwich compared to a filet mignon you know it was there's only so much you can do in the podcast format um yes. but with with the visual i know there are there are video podcasts like this one but but with a produced uh, program with as much writing uh, as we put into it. I'd not heard a podcast that did as much research as we did. There was nothing visually interesting in any of the podcasts. I thought we were separate. I, I thought we were a different market altogether. Uh, yeah. What I knew it was doing, which I thought was deleterious to the talent, was it was devaluing the talent. Talent. They would go on a show. They would talk for two hours for free. Uh, tell all their stories. You don't really think I'm paying you $1,000 to tell the same story you just told for free two weeks ago just because I have a camera, do you? So exactly. it it began to devalue them. And so I thought that that was a real threat. Um, but it did change the business somewhat because all the stories were hitting at the same time. And our format was just being mimicked by, I mean, you see how many people do like one year. I don't know. There's one of the podcasts now they do like one year at a time, like timeline. And yeah. uh, they take fan questions and that's you shoot. So it's, so they've done it. They've just moved what we did to the podcast. Um, but the thing I, that hurt us more and that hurt the, the industry more was the Netflix style format where it is um, an endless amount of content for a small price. Yeah. And that didn't just affect our business. That affected the entire entertainment business. The residuals of payments for talent on programs are minuscule now because of that format, because they're giving I, – I, it was in one of my books. It was in um, uh, – the business of kayfabe. I broke down what the value of a show is. Used to be you'd have to buy a DVD. You wanted to own uh, Spider-Man. You you bought the DVD. It was yours forever. Okay, and you spent what is it, fifteen dollars? All right. So the value yeah. of Spider-Man is fifteen dollars. There are at any moment five thousand shows on Netflix, or there were anyway when I did this research. Five thousand shows. Divide your eight dollar payment by 5,000. The value of one of those programs overnight went from $15 owning a DVD to 0.004 cents. Yeah. That's the value of owning Spider-Man now. So that model did much more damage to the psyche because companies had to follow. WWE had to follow. They had to, for 9.99, they had to give you the whole damn catalog. 
used yeah. to have to buy the DVD of WrestleMania. We used to have to buy the DVD. So a la carte programming died. So that format was what was a detriment to anybody producing a la carte material. And when you work at our level, we're not going to have a million subscribers to our channel. We do have a subscription channel, KC Vault, kcvault.pivotshare.com, uh, where you can get our programming for just $14.95 a month. But we're, we can't, we're not going to have a million people mm-hmm. to, 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 to get uh, whatever, $10, $15 million a month. You yeah. know, So we could not be producing the volume that we were any longer because the a la carte model was dead. The subscription model was there. And it was, it's a niche. Listen, we were a niche company. Yeah. We played to a passionate fans. And when that model changed... Uh, expecting us to produce the material that we were at the level we were any longer uh, uh, became impossible. Yeah, it's uh, def- definitely changed. And uh, eventually you made uh, your own uh, podcast, um, the KFA podcast. So what made you realize that you thought you might as well start one yourself? And uh, we mentioned on off camera, you've um, stopped it for the time being. So what was it like doing your own podcast? Well, I'd been asked by people in the wrestling business to do their podcast. Like, I I notice a lot of the talent, they don't want to go it alone. They want a guy. They need a guy. I want a guy. He's going to host it. He's going to put the advertising up. He's going to do the Twitter stuff. He's going to kind of feed me the questions so I don't have to worry about being interesting for two hours. So everybody gets a guy. So I had a name talent that would have folks we talked about before, as a matter of fact, who would have had a killer podcast. Uh, And I actually only said yes to one of them. And uh, I wrote out uh, the format and I wanted it to be different. And I'd listened to the other wrestling podcasts. I I, I didn't want it to sound like the podcast guy dragged the wrestling star out of bed and forced him to sit there and do the podcast that week because nothing really interesting is going on. And uh, and in trying to do the schedule with this person, I saw that it was going to be that. So I said, you know, what? let's just put this on pause for now. We can revisit it someday. And uh, so then uh, I once uh, Kayfabe wasn't producing any new material. Um, I felt a, a pressure I, that I had to stay in the public eye. Quite honestly, I had to. Uh, Fans talk to me all the time on, on Twitter and they send emails. And so, I mean, there was still interest. So I said, well, I, I owe it at least to to be part of this thing that's happening and, and give them some of that. So I was on for about six months and then the pandemic hit. Yes. I got caught <laughs> down in Florida. I was it, it had first happened here. They canceled school for a week. I said to my wife, I really don't know how serious this is. Uh, let's just go down to to Florida, to the place there, and uh, for a week, and then we'll come back. Well, we go down there, and everything explodes. You can't travel. You can't, like, leave the state. So I'd had um, my equipment down there with me, so I was able to do a few few podcasts from down there. But being remote posed a lot of other problems, too. And um, I suppose I could have kept going with it, but 
I had a writing project. I had actually four writing projects happen. I started writing novels a few years ago, and I had a TV series get optioned uh, right around that time. So, you know, when a producer buys the series, you kind of got to be at their beck and call and be ready to write and get it in shape for pitches to the networks and to the streaming. So the writing got so insane that I said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be one of these damn guys now. I'm going to be putting on a half-assed product every week. So I'm going to be squeezing in my podcast. I'm going to be shoving in guests that I'm just happy to get anybody. And when I started to see that that's where it was going, I said, I'm not going to do that to people. I'm not going to make them give me an hour and a half or an hour of their life every week if it's not going to be top notch. So yeah. I said, let me pause this. When the writing slows down, I I'm never at a loss for words. I could always go on the microphone and do it again. So uh, I wanted to give it a fair shake. I'd given it a fair shake when I came out of the gate. There's There are great shows on it. We have wrestling talent. The, the pitch was stories you're not supposed to hear. It's called kayfabe. Of course, I needed that with the wrestling hook. I needed to kind of bridge that gap. But I wanted to have people on that had things to tell that we hadn't heard about either. I, I, I mean, I wanted... I had an FBI agent on. I had the son of a of a Cuban spy. I, I wanted wow. interesting stories. I could elicit from you, James, the most interesting things in the world. And you might not be the most interesting person, but if you gave me time, I would chisel away at your hard bearded yeah. exterior and get to the bottom and find something interesting in your past, even if it was just you and the goat. <laughs> awesome right Sean uh, you're a busy man and uh, we're, near the end, we're, we're at the end of the interview but before we do go uh, where can everyone find you on social media and also your upcoming projects you want to promote yeah at kayfabe Sean uh, on Twitter uh, Sean Oliver official on Instagram uh, have my books out there if you're into the wrestling books uh, kayfabe was the first one uh, father's blood uh, the Business of Kayfabe, I have three horror novels out. Uh, I'm on my third draft of a fourth um, and a few TV series, hopefully, coming up, knock on wood. One of them's already been optioned and uh, just finished up the getting the other one in shape. That's it. So I, I, I got to go put on my Liverpool jersey. I've been given permission from you to wear my Liverpool jersey. <laughs> so next time I'm on, I'll be, I'll be in it. Oh, it'll be a pleasure. A pleasure to have you back on like i said uh been watching your videos for many years and uh it's one of the influences for me to start the show myself so i want to say thank you again for giving me your time and yeah hopefully you could do this again one day all right thank you appreciate it thank you hey you made it to the end so hopefully this means you enjoyed this interview and if you did Please, 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 please give us a five-star rating on whichever podcasting platform you're listening on and a big old subscribe. And if you're watching this on YouTube, same again. Please give us a like, comment how much you enjoyed this video, hit the subscribe button, and then also hit that ring bell. And as the next week's guest announcement, we've got the Pearl River Powerhouse, Ahmed Johnson. Great chat with Ahmed, talked about how he joined WWE. His big push on his arrival, defeating Goda for the IT title, teamed up with Shawn Michaels, what Shawn Michaels was really like behind the scenes, and also some fun stories on the likes of Owen Hart, the British Bulldog, and Bret Hart, and we also get into the Montreal Screwjob, and what was the reason Ahmed finally left WWE. So, 
interesting chat. So everyone, thanks again for checking out this interview, and please catch me in the next one, and I'll see you then. Bye.